Um, as I was preparing for this particular message, I was trying to connect the dots um, so that you can kind of understand where I'm going from week to week. Uh, sometimes I get so caught up within the series that I fail to make the original connection as to why I am here. And so I want to just kind of lift that just for a moment. There is a biblical interpretive tool called the law of first mention, the law of first mention. In this particular law, what it simply means is if you want to understand a particular word in, in the Bible or a particular doctrine, what you have to do is go back to the place where it's first mentioned. If you can comprehend what God said, then you can understand what he is saying now. Can somebody say amen to that? Because how many know God is not saying what he has never said? I just want to let that rest in the atmosphere just for a moment. So the law of first mention, one of the things that I'm highlighting is what God first says about marriage. We see that in the book of Genesis chapter number two. He says it is not good for the man to be alone. He goes on in verses uh, number uh, 24 of chapter number two in Genesis. And he says, for this call shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Within chapter number two, he gives his thoughts concerning marriage. Now watch this. Based on Genesis chapter number two, it is now the interpretive lens of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the text. When Moses writes his laws, he's going to write them based on what's happening in Genesis chapter number two. When the prophets, the minor prophets speaks concerning marriage and when they use analogies concerning marriage, God's relationship to the church or God's relationship to the na nation of Israel is going to be used as an, uh, uh, from, from the basis of Genesis chapter number two. Jesus, when he speaks about marriage, Paul, when he writes about marriage, everything from Genesis to Revelation, the interpretive lens that is used is Genesis chapter number two. I want to extend that in two forms. Number one, not only should it be an interpretive lens for understanding the rest of the book, I believe that it also should be used for practical application in our day-to-day -day life. Can somebody say amen right there? Marriage is God's idea, so since it's God's idea, we should do it God's way. So as I'm looking at what it is that God is downloading in my spirit concerning marriage, not only should we be able to look at what God said about marriage to identify practical application and biblical interpretation, we should also be able to look at the mess of marriage, the mess of the first marriage. Let me say it like that. And be able to extrapolate some principles as to what the devil is still doing years later in our lives. I wonder how many of you guys, like God, you looked at your mate and you said, it is good. It's not good for me to be by myself, girl. I want to, uh, can, can you be my girlfriend? I never, I'll never forget in the sixth grade, I wrote a letter to a girl, praise the Lord. And I was smooth in my writing. I said, I like you. Do you like me? Check yes or no. I ain't even giving no maybe, y'all. <laughs> Brother had high self-esteem. Come on. Yeah. I remember asking my wife out. Girl, you show this fine. Praise the Lord. Sanctified self. I remember proposing to my wife. 
And when I asked her, when I proposed to her, all I could see is the scripture in Genesis chapter number two. It's not good for man to be alone. Come on, somebody. God says that, 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 that this is good, us coming together. But how many of you all have the experience of at one moment saying this is good, but another moment be like, God, I missed it here. I'm just being transparent because there are some times, Jesus, I looked at how we were doing. I was saying, God, I might have, I thought I heard you, but I could have heard something else. But nevertheless, God says that it's not good for man to be alone. But there are some things that happen in chapter number three that it, it doesn't just speaks to the fall of man. It just doesn't speaks to the original sins. It speaks to certain principles that are there lying dormant that will cause any good relationship to become rocky and unstable. And for the past couple of weeks, we've simply been highlighting those principles. Week number one, we said that when you allow unproven and unholy voices to speak in your ear, your relationship is bound to become destitute. It is bound to become rocky. When you, because understand, the Bible declares faith comes by what, y'all? Hearing. What, look, look at this. Your belief system is developed by what you hear. I'm going to say it one more time. Your belief system is based on what you consistently hear. And if what you consistently hear is the things of God, it will develop you in a healthy way. But if you got a snake speaking to your destiny... I want to help somebody in this place. Eve was speaking to a snake. I want to help somebody. And I'm telling you, one of the things that lead to unhealthy relationships, rocky relationships, and when you allow unproven, unholy voices in your ear. Last week, we highlighted the idea that when, when there is a failure to confront sin in the relationship, yeah, Adam was there. We see it in the text. Adam was there with Eve when, he's, when she was having this conversation with the snake, and Adam failed to confront Eve about what was going on. The Bible declares, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Eve, she was deceived. But Adam, he goes into the situations with his eyes wide open. He failed to confront sin. Today, I want to highlight this third principle in part number three. What, what leads to relationships being rocky and unstable? There it is. Failure. Failure to adequately apologize. Some of you all, your relationships would be much better than what they are right now if you would just simply offer a good, sincere apology. Yeah. Let me share with you what I believe is really wrong with your relationship. What's really wrong with your relationship is the fact that both of you all are imperfect. And what makes it even worse is when both of you all are imperfect, but you, but you expect your husband or your wife to be Jesus or Jesus at. And they simply are not, and they never will be. You yourself, sir, madam, are important, are, are, are imperfect, and the person that you're married to or in relationship with or in business relationship with, they too are imperfect. So what that means is there are times when Ken Sander, he speaks to this quite a bit, and I really love it. He says that there are times when you simply just need to overlook an offense. Now, he doesn't define overlooking as he would define sweeping things under the rug. Sweeping things under the rug means I'm just not trying to, to, to mention it because I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to disturb the peace. No, when you sweep it under the rug, that's a pseudo peace. Come on, somebody. And in just a moment, somebody's getting ready to trip over issues that you've refused to deal with. 
But there are times when you have to simply just look over a fence. Understand my training, my, my, my biblical training, my counsel training, my, my mind is bent on not only just seeing problems, but the source of problems. That's the way my mind is. And sometimes in relationships, I myself, I have almost wrecked relationships because my training, it, it sharpens my eyes to not only see problems, but see the source of problems. And there are times when I confronted things that I just should have overlooked. You don't need to confront that right now. Not sweep it under the rug, but that some things, uh, matter of fact, just, just, just jot this down. Some things are just not worth my energy. I'm helping two people up in here today. Some things are just not, I want to pause there for a second. G, and my son, he came to me, he said, Pastor, you're using a new phrase, pausing now. So y'all pray for me. I, I, try to, I try to highlight my little, you know, repetitious little things that I do. And he says, pausing is one of them. So now it's on the forefront of my mind. Watch this. I want to pause there for a moment. Do you really know how much energy it takes to fight and to argue? I mean, it takes in. I don't know about you all. It might be some of y'all physical energy, praise the Lord. And I pray not up in here. But for me, it's mental energy, putting an argument together, uh, 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 discerning emotions and what to say, when to say, how to say. It takes a lot of energy. And most of you guys, some of you all are putting too much energy and stuff that you ought to just, somebody shout, just let that one go. Yeah, you should let that one go. The problem with your relationship is the fact of the matter that both of you all are imperfect. So there are things that will transpire that's really not worth addressing. But then there are things that happen that's got to be addressed. Sometimes it's because of the nature of the sin and then there are other times it's because of the consistency of the fault. It's not that what you did was so big. It's that you continue to do the same thing that irritates me over and over and over again. So when these things transpire, what should you do? From, from the standpoint of being the offended party, yes, I should seek for reconciliation. And reconciliation means that as the offended party, I may have to confront and then I may have to forgive. But if I am the offender and I have hurt someone's feelings. I have done something to violate the tenets of the relationship. This is not something that should be overlooked, but I am being confronted about my decadent behavior. Then I need to offer an apology. And there are too many relationships. Somebody shout right now. Right now that are suffering because of the failure of a good apology. So this is what I want to offer to you all to, to, today. I want to offer four elements of an effective apology. That's what I want to deal with today. Four elements of an effective apology. If, if you're going to really apologize and you want it to be felt and you really want it, because, see, people that don't apologize are what I found two reasons. Number one, people that, and I'll deal with the second reason in just a moment, but the, the first reason I've seen that people don't apologize is because they don't really value the relationship. It is what it is. I mean, if you're going to be here, I mean, this, this is just who I am. So if you're going to be with me, you're just going to, but the devil is absolutely a lie. If you value the relationship, there's something that you're going to have to say. That's the first reason. Uh, but I'm getting ready to dive into the second reason as to why people don't apologize. Let's, let's go here. Four elements of an effective apology. Number one is simply saying, I was wrong. Somebody shout, I was wrong. If you're taking notes, jot that down. If you're watching me online, put that in the chat. I was wrong. 
Now, it's interesting because I asked all of y'all to say it, all of y'all to write it down, but the reality is only 50% of y'all going to write it down, and of that 50%, 50% of the 50% going to have troubles writing, I was wrong. Because it's hard for some people to admit that I was wrong, and the reason is, number two, one, sometimes people don't really value the relationship. Number two, people have a problem admitting I was wrong because too many times people hinge their self-worth and self-esteem on them being right. Mentally, I can't afford to be wrong. You know why? Because growing up as a little boy, a little girl, I was always berated by my teachers, by my parents for things that I did wrong. So I've, I've developed this pseudo-perfectionism attitude that I've got to be right. And so when somebody confronts me, you're not just confronting what I did. You're confronting who I am. Understand, when you admit that you are wrong, I'm not telling you as a person that you are worthless. No, the devil is a liar. What I am saying is something that you did and the mindset attribute, that attributed to what you did, that was wrong. I was wrong. And some of you all, your, your relationships would benefit if you just step up to the plate and say, you know what, I accept that one. I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have said that. I was I was wrong. Here's the second word. Number one, I was wrong. Number two, I am, I am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. If you're taking notes, jot this down. I may go a little fast on this point, so take a picture. Um, and, of course, those who want my slides, all you got to do is email or text me, and they're yours. I am wrong speaks to your action and thoughts. Speaks to a, a point in time concerning something that I did and my mental process that brought me to that place. But when you say, I am sorry, what you're doing, you're connecting to the heart of the offended party. You're not just saying what, I, I felt bad about what I did, but it's saying, what I did hurt you, man. And if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't do it. It ain't even about whether it was right or wrong. It hurts your feelings, so I'm not, hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I said something that, that, that hurt my wife's feelings. And, and watch this. What I said, it was, it was really joking. It, I was really joking. And at another time and at another place, it, she would have laughed like crazy. But because of the time and the situation we were in, what would have at another time been hurt would have been well. It, was, it hurt her feelings. So I had to step up to the plate and say, I was wrong. I, I was wrong. Th th I, I didn't discern the time and the space that you were in right now. And I hurt your feelings. If I, had, if I had to back up 10 minutes, I would not have said that because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Your relationships, some of them would be further off right now. Because understand, again, I keep using this word pseudo because it's at the forefront of my mind. Because there are too many fake relationships that we got going on right now. Not real. Y'all just kind of going through the motion. There's no real peace there. Y'all really not dealing with issues. And, and some of you all, you would benefit if you would just admit, I was wrong. And listen, I'm sorry for hurting you the way that I did. So again, when you say I'm wrong and I'm sorry, it's not even about your self-esteem. It's about owning up to your part of the responsibility. And there are some of you all that are refusing to apologize because you're looking at what they did, but you won't hold the responsibility for what you did. I can't control what you say. I can't control how you act. What I can do is control how I respond to what you did and what you said. Come on, somebody. So, so what happens is we wind up blaming other people. Jesus, help me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. My, my, wife, my wife, she came in the uh, house. 
and we, we was arguing about something. We was arguing about something. And uh, she, yeah, it was, it, it was a mess that I made. It was a mess I made. And um, so when she started talking about the mess, and it was a mess, and I should have cleaned that up. I should have cleaned that up. And I'm doing better, y'all. I promise I am. I should have cleaned that up. And so, but instead of owning up to the mess I made, y'all know what I did. I was like, babe, babe, come here. Just come here just for a second. Just come, come here, babe. I just, I just need to talk with you. And I walked in the room, and I said, now this your mess right here. I sh instead of taking responsibility, pray for me, I'm getting better, y'all. I shifted the blame and the focus on what she was doing wrong instead of taking the responsibility as to what I'm doing wrong. When you say I'm wrong and I'm sorry, you're taking, God smiles on that because you're taking responsibility. Somebody shout, I got to take responsibility. So I was wrong. We'll start there. Number two, I'm sorry. That's the emotional component. Here's number three. How can I make it right? How can I make it right? Because there are certain things that you can apologize for. You can say, I was wrong. You can say, I was sorry. And, and it'll just squash it from there. But then there are certain times when you do certain things that you owe restitution to the individual. Um, as I was meditating on this thought, um, this, this came to mind years ago. And praise God, it was years ago. I had a special service. Uh, this is when we were down at the South location. And I invited one of my good friends to that service. And his whole congregation wound up coming. And um, I'm on my feet, and I'm coming to a close, and I'm trying to figure out how to, how to, man, how to really land this jet. So as I was thinking about that, this, this thought came to mind of something that my friend and I, something that we did when we were uh, younger. And um, I started giving that story as an analogy to help close the message. The problem is the analogy went way wrong, y'all. I'm talking about it was, it went way wrong. What was sad was I didn't, I knew it was went wrong. I knew it went wrong, but I just changed channels. I just didn't know how, how much it went wrong. So after the service, my wife comes to me and she says, Greg, why did you say that? And one of the things I appreciate about my wife, um, she doesn't always bombard me as soon as the service is over. There's something that I did. She'll maybe wait a day or two, maybe an hour or two, praise the Lord, and she'll kind of give me some constructive criticism. And I really do appreciate that. But this time, I didn't even say we are a church family. <laughs> it was like that honors God and everything we say and do. Greg, <laughs> what's up, man? So I heard her, but I'm like, I mean, it was, it was all right. He was good. I'm good. So I go to my dad, and I said, Pop, what's your thoughts about when I said this? And, and my dad, he looked at me. He said, son, that was, that was real bad. So when I thought about it, and then I put myself in his shoes, how would I feel having heard that said about me with him standing on his feet with my entire congregation there? And I said, man, I need to, I need to apologize. So he was having service late on that night, and I went to his church, and um, um, he, he, wasn't up, he wasn't speaking that night. He was just kind of sitting to the side, so I called him, and I said, hey, man, I just want to say, say a couple of words. And um, I said, man, this what I said in the message, man. I, wanna, I was wrong for that, man. I didn't see that then, but I see it now. I was wrong, man. I want to apologize. Um, please forgive me, man. Please forgive me. That I, I don't want to do anything that would wreck the relationship and the friendship that we have. And watch this, everything was good. He says, Greg, every, everything was good. I know you didn't. He said, that did hurt, but I know you didn't mean to hurt me the way th that it did. So I, I forgive you, man. And so we go inside the service together, and I'm sitting there. And watch this, I admitted that I was wrong. I said that I was sorry, 
but on the inside, I was feeling like this ain't something missing. So when they were bringing the service to a conclusion, um, they said, are there any guest ministers that would like to have words before we close out a service? And that usually I never have words. Um, when the preacher preach, I like to let him preach and, and let's go, let's go eat. So um, I said, yeah, I got something to say. And this is what hit me. What I did was in front of everybody. So how you gonna give a private apology when you made a public mess? So I said, I, gotta, I, I need something, I got something I need to say. I, I got in the pulpit and um, it, it was, listen, it was, it was tough. The reason, one of the reasons it was tough is because I'm looking at the faces of the people who were there Second reason it was tough because I'm looking at the suspicions of the folk who wasn't there. What'd he do, girl? What'd he say? So I, I, I took away the suspicion and I told everybody what I did. And I told them how wrong I was and how much I apologize and I affirmed my love for my friend. I made somebody shout, you got to make it right. But I didn't stop there. The next Thursday night for our Bible study, I stood before my congregation that I sat in front of as well because I don't want, watch this, ministers coming up behind me thinking that there's certain behavior that's okay. The devil is a lie. Pastor, Mr. Mark, I was wrong. I, I told them that I went and I apologized to him privately as well as publicly to his congregation, but now I'm saying I am apologizing publicly to you all because I embarrassed you by being your pastor, saying things like that. Somebody shout it again, you gotta make it right. Watch this. In the book of Luke, chapter number 19, verses number 8, there's a story of a man by the name of Zacchaeus, a short man. The scripture teaches that he runs into a sycamore tree, and, and he's looking to see Jesus. Jesus recognizes him, calls him down, and he says, i got to have supper at your house. This is Zacchaeus' testimony in Luke 19, 8. The Bible declares, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Watch the wisdom here. Zacchaeus is saying, I was wrong for what I have done. I am sorry, Jesus, how I have offended you by offending people that you love. But I'm not done just saying I, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. I'm here to make amends for what I have done. If the folk that I cheated, I'm not just apologizing to them. If I gave them, if I took something, if I stole something, I'm going to give it back four times. Somebody shout it one more time. You got to make it right. You got to make it right. Here's the fourth element of an adequate apology. And these are things that are good to say. It's good to say I was wrong. <laughs> it's good to say I'm sorry. It's good to ask the question, how, how can I make this right? It's good not only to say that, but number four, make the confession, I am willing to change. I'm willing to change. I'm willing to change. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, change requires effort. Change requires effort. Yeah. My wife came into the house, it was about, uh, about four weeks ago, and um, I was in my office, and, and the kids, I saw the mess that they made, but I... I had so much going on. So she came in the house. She was fussing at the kids. And I meant to fuss about it, but I, I was tied up with something else. So I let her, I let her have them. And she was handling it too. I mean, they had mess everywhere. So after about 10 minutes, 
Um, Brother Jones, I came in to rescue the kids. Okay, you're you fussing, but you've been fussing too long now. So I go in and I rescue the kids. I didn't know in rescuing the kids that her wrath was going to turn on me. <laughs> so the kids are gone. Now she's fussing at me. And she said, come on in the room. I got to show you. Because I saw you when you did it. I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me. Look at your shaving cream and look at this mirror. Look, every time you use your razor, every time you shave, you leave this mess here. And brothers, y'all already know what I'm thinking. Every time, every single time for the past 20 years, every time. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm thinking that, but I didn't say it. I let her go on. And uh, I sat there and I, I took the prayer. And when she left, I made up in my mind. I said, I said, I'm going to make a promise to myself. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Okay. Ty, let me pause right there. <laughs> so, there are times when you say stuff like that, but you're doing it spitefully. Come on, somebody. You, you, there, there's this thing in your spirit, and it ain't of the spirit of God, and you're doing it spitefully. I chose, I ain't going to be spiteful. Man, if this irritates you, you know what? I can put my shaving cream, I can put the top up back on my shaving cream, put it in the cabinet, put my mirror back up, and watch this. And wipe the flakes of hairs down. Praise the Lord. And to God be the glory. Mr. Jeff, it's been four weeks. And in the past four weeks, every time I shave my head, I put my stuff up. Can, can a brother get a, can I, I'm, can I get a hand clap? Can I get Facebook live? Can you, can you give me some high fives or something? Somebody shout, change requires effort. I have, to, I have to admit, it, it hadn't been easy, but I, I don't know why I forget to do that. Matter of fact, it was the other day. I had finished. I put it there, and alcohol in my head, and I walked out the bathroom. I'm like, oh, 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 oh wait, 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 wait. Change requires help, uh, effort, and then there are times, if you're taking notes, jot this down. There are times, there are times that change requires help. It requires help. So um, here's another. I'm giving y'all all my business today. So here's another um, source of contention in, in my marriage. So uh, for those who know my wife, you know that she's like a mathematical financial genius. I mean, the girl is just super sharp, okay? And um, she literally has a black note memo book that has the year from 2000 all the way to 2020. And in that book, she literally has every source of income that is coming in our house and where it went. So I could go back to 2007 and look at how much money we brought in in our different businesses. And, and if, if I'm like, when, when did I buy that car? When did I buy that? No, you bought it. No, I ain't buy it then. She'll pull out the book. Bam, this is when you bought it right there. So she, I mean, she, she even balances. We have our, our corporate account and then we have our own personal account. In her personal account, she literally balances her checkbooks to the penny and will argue with the teller and will be usually right as to where them two cents are. Okay? Brother like me, I just want to know. I care. I just want to know I got money in there. <laughs> I, ain't 
I ain't going to spend three hours chasing three cents. Do I got some money in there so when I swipe this card, it's good. So here it is, man. Of course, my wife, she handles the finances in the house, and I'm okay with that. And brothers, let me just speak to that just for a second. If she does a better job at it, man, let her have that stress. Can, can a brother just say amen? If you can trust her, if you can trust her, and I've seen situations where um, uh, the wife, she handles money better, but she may have an uh, alcohol addiction or she may have a gambling addiction, so she can handle it, but she may not be trusted with it. If you have a wife that's skilled and can be trusted, man, give them the money, let them handle it. So here is the deal, though. Um, in my account, I want to make sure there's money there, and when I write a check and when I swipe a card, once that I see that it's been drafted out of my account, I mean, the transaction is done. Everything is everything. So what my wife wants me to do, she wants me to uh, get the receipt, make a copy, and file it away in our personal records. And I'm the world worst at keeping receipts, y'all. I'm just, and, and we've been fighting about this for years. I finally told my wife, I said, sweetie, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I know that this offends you that I can't find that third Home Depot receipt. I told my wife straight up, I said, I need help. I need, and I told her what kind of help I needed. I said, I need gentle reminders, and I need you to remind me earlier. Don't wait two months and be talking about, you know what that receipt is that you had when you went and bought that? I don't know where it is. Don't wait two months, <laughs> wait two days. There's sometimes when change can be relatively easy if you apply low effort. Then there are times when change, you, you need help. And if you need help, ask for help. And then there are times when change, it requires a system of accountability. Everybody put that in the chat, jot that down. Sometimes change requires a system of accountability. So this is an area that you have continued to fail in or there is an addictive pattern there and I'm not beating you down up as a person. Your willpower is very low in this particular area. You don't just need a gentle reminder. You need a system of accountability. Can somebody say amen to that? Now watch this. In the book of Luke chapter number three, somebody shout, I am willing to change. It's good. Luke chapter number three, verses number three, and I'm coming to a close, man. Concerning John the Baptist, the Bible declares he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching and bap a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Verse number seven declares, John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him, you, look at this, look at this, you brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourself, concerning I have Abraham as my father. Verse number 10, what should we do then? This is good. When, when he said, when, 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 he's, when he's preaching this baptism of repentance, they are publicly being baptized, which simply means that I am acknowledging that I'm no longer going my direction, but I'm making a 180 and I'm going in God's direction. So what he says, what should we do? No, let me back up and let me highlight that. Verse number eight, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's saying, if you're really saying that you're changing, give me proof you're changing. You say you're willing to change, 
What are you, let me see the effort that you're making in your change. Where are you asking for help? What system of accountability are you putting yourself in? What counseling program are you putting yourself in that's saying that I am serious about change? I'm serious about not hurting your feelings by my actions again. He says, produce fruit in keeping. So they asked the question, verse number 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the, the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked, what should we do? We, we, we really are repenting. What are the fruits that we should sh do to demonstrate that we, that we have changed? Don't collect any more than you are required. He told them, even soldiers asked him, what should we do? We're repenting. We've, we're going God's way. He says, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So, Pastor, what, what does this have to do with your text? Adam owes God and his wife an apology. Adam owes Eve and God an apology. What's the apology? Eve, I sat here and I watched you have a conversation with the snake. I heard the conversation and I knew it was not going in the direction that God wants for our lives. And I was wrong because I failed to cover you. Based on my actions, I now see where we are. Hmm. I see where we are. And I'm sorry. Watch, watch, watch this. Eve, I don't know what to do, but I want to make it right. Maybe if we cover ourselves with fig leaves, maybe, maybe that'll help. I don't know, but I, I want to do whatever I got to do to make this right. Adam owed Eve an apology. Not only did he owe Eve, he also owed God. Because God was the one who told him the day that you eat from this fruit that you're going to die, you're going to surely die. But God, with full knowledge, I disobeyed the one I know who loves me more than anybody, anything else in the world. I should have stood up. I should have said something to my wife. And even if she decided to partake of the fruit, I should have halted right there and stopped the process and not partake of her sin with her. God, I'm admitting that I'm wrong and I'm sorry for what I did. I can't, I can't give an excuse. I'm just sorry because I know I hurt you. You came looking for me in the cool of the day to have fellowship, to talk, and instead of running to you, I ran away from you. This I hid from you, God, and I know that hurt your heart because you're a God of love. You're a God of, you have devotions too. I wonder, just, just press pause for it. I just, I just wonder, just wonder what would have happened if Adam would have approached God this way and he would have said, God, what can I do to make it right now? Just, 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 I, just use your imagination. And I'll, to, I'll tell you why I was challenged to use my imagination. Matter of fact, let me just go ahead and go there, man. Look, look, at, look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number one, verses number 18. Yes. The Bible declares, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. God is talking to a stubborn people that he's saying, I know what's in your heart. I know what's going on on the inside of you. But if you will run to me, I can change your story. 
And I'm telling you today, if you will run to him instead of running from him, he will change your story and change your life. Can somebody say amen there? So knowing the heart of God, even David, after he fell with Bathsheba, he, he confessed. He said, God, Nathan approached him and he says, God, I know I'm wrong. I know, I know I'm wrong. I apologize, God. He said, it's against you and you only that I have sinned. And then he asked for change. He says, purge me with hyssop. He said, he said, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Renew the right spirit on the inside of me. He, he cried out and watch this. Because he approached God and God changed his story, he should have been stripped of all of his royalties and all of his dignities, but God still calls him a man after his own heart and he uses his David's lineage to bring about the Messiah because David approached him. I, wonder, I just wonder what would have happened had God, had Adam approached God and says, God, God, I know you're looking for me. I got something I need to tell you. I know you already know, but you want to hear from my lips. This is what I did. This is what I allowed to transpire. And I feel real bad, God. And I know that consequences are already associated with my sin. I know that, but let me just ask, what can I do? Is that, is that in God is there? I, I just, woo. I, I want you to think about a merciful, loving, forgiving, graceful God and a son coming to his daddy saying, I know I'm wrong, but is there anything I can do to make it right? I, I truly believe that our story might be a little bit different than what it is right now had he came to him and said, is there anything I can do to make it right? I wonder how many of your stories would be just a little bit different if you would stop running from God and run to him and say, God, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm a mess. I know I got issues in my life. I know there's some certain consequences that have to occur based on my sin. I know that, but I'm running to you, and I'm just asking God, is there anything I can do to make it right? That's not what Adam does. Genesis chapter number 3, verses number 11. God asks Adam a straightforward question. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's a yes or no, Adam. It's, it's yes or no. You, you, there's no excuse you have to give. I just want a straightforward answer from my son. Because maybe if you give me a straightforward answer, we can go in a different direction. We can do something a little bit different. Have you eaten? Adam wouldn't take responsibility. He wouldn't even take responsibility for his part. He blamed Eve, and then he blamed God. Look at what he said in verse number 12. The, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit, and because you put her here, and she gave it to me, that's the reason why I, obey, I disobeyed you. Just what if Adam would have manned up? Just what would happen if you would take on your responsibility in the relationship with people around you and with your God? Hmm. Let's find a note and we're going to pray. Aunt Charlotte, you can come on. We, I want to pray for you guys today. 
so, so there, there are times as, as a leader, and I have people that I answer to. Um, yeah, that I have people that I answer to. So when certain things go wrong within my sphere of influence, the people I answer to, I know I have to take full responsibility to my superiors, the people that I talk to. But watch this. After taking full response, because after taking full responsibility for my sphere of influence, once I come down from talking to my superiors, now I'm talking to the people who I entrusted with certain responsibilities. And you better believe you're going to give an account of what it is that you did and you were supposed to do. What are you trying to say, Pastor McGee? There are times when people try to take full responsibilities and you don't have to or you should not shoulder all of the responsibility. No, no. You do it as a leader when it's within your sphere of influence, when you're answering to your superiors. Yes. But in the relationship, when there's a clear division of labor, certain things that they were supposed to do, certain things that you were supposed to do, before you look at theirs, let's shoulder your own responsibility. Admit that you're wrong. Express a sincere sorrow concerning your wrong. Do what you can to make amends, to make it right. God help us in this place. And have an attitude to be willing to change. I want to pray for you all here today. And uh, Charlotte, you can come. Come, come, please, ma'am, come. This is, this is what I want you to do, ma'am. Uh, there are some people that are convicted with this message. And, and if I pray that it's conviction and not condemnation. Because watch this, I'm, I'm pretty good at all four of these. Those in my immediate circle, they, they, they know I'm pretty good at all four. But the only reason I'm pretty good at them is because I've been so horrible at them. <laughs> I got it wrong so much that I eventually started getting some things right. So this message is not about condemnation, but if you are convicted at any of those points where there are relationships that could be better, if you would just say, okay, I was wrong, or I'm sorry for what I did, or I'm taking on the responsibility, I'm willing to make amends for what I did, and I'm going to do my best to change so I don't hurt you the way that I did. I did. If that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. And those of you who are watching me online, if that's you, I want to know who I'm praying for, who Minister Charlotte is getting ready to pray for. If that's you, just lift your hand all over this building. Where you at? Just lift your right hand. I want to see where you are. Yeah, I see you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. There are some of you lifting your hands online. Thank you for your honesty. Transformation starts at the place of transparency. Let me say it again. Transformation starts at the place of transparency. And when you're honest at that point to say, God, this is where I'm wrong. This is where I'm failing. This is where I need help. At that place of transparency, transformation happens. Minister Charlotte, if you could just pray for those individuals that's been struggling in this area of offering an effective apology. Maybe it's because of fear, maybe shame, ego, I don't know. But in order for their relationship to be what God has,